Happy Friday, which is really, I mean, a big one leading us into a big decision to come on Monday. Uh, we've been talking a lot, of course, on 630 Chat about this election, a lot just as Albertans about this election. But there's one detail that actually hasn't been a discussion point, which is really actually something I think we need to applaud. And it's the fact that both of these main contenders vying to become premier of our province are women and no one is really making a big deal of it. So how much does this push the needle forward to influence other women to get into politics? And how much does having a woman in power really help us to sort of create gender parity amongst all levels of politics. We're going to get into it right now with our guest who is Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Calgary. Dr. Melanie Thomas is joining the show. Dr. Thomas, thanks so much for making the time. Thanks for having me. There's been a lot of talk about this election and about this campaign, which arguably has been going on for many, many months. Uh, but mm-hmm. as I mentioned, one thing that's not been talked about is the fact that both of these contenders are women. I mean, I really think that that's something to be proud of, isn't it? Well, uh, yes. Um, <laughs> yes, with an asterisk. There's the, the hesitation on this. And so one of the things I study is uh, the prevalence of sexism and sexist attitudes about women's capacity for politics. Mm. Uh, and so as you're saying, like there hasn't been a whole lot of commentary about how it's two women. I'm thinking back to 2012, which is the first time this has happened um, in Canada and also in Alberta. Uh, and I remember um, with uh, apologies to your listeners out in Pinoca, I remember the one op-ed that came out that said, you know, I really don't like this, came from the local paper in mm-hmm. Pinoca. Um, and being from rural Alberta, I was like, you know, it had to be one of us, I suppose. <laughs> this would have come out. And so just because it's it's like it is remarkable and so the good thing about this is that the more you see women in these positions that have been historically held by men and are still like strongly stereotyped as masculine positions um the more it breaks down um assumptions about who can actually do this job and i think at this point in canadian politics uh in general and in alberta in particular the idea that a woman can be premier is unremarkable because we have seen it Mm. um uh, this will be the fourth person who is a woman to be um, after whoever, however things go on Monday, that'll be the fourth person to have served um, as premier. One of them uh, guaranteed to be the second time that they would have been sworn into that office. And so there, there isn't, it's not that women can do it, can't do it, but it's more, I, the, the less positive side of this is that um, because I study it, I still see that there are sexist assumptions and um, the things that mute how we talk about these things when um, when it's two women, and it would be very different if it was two men, and it would also be different, again, if it was a woman and a man in the race as well. Okay, I'm really glad that you brought that up, because that's my question, is what would the conversation look like if this were one female vying against a man? Would, would we be mm-hmm. seeing more of those articles criticizing, you know, appearance and clothing and ability? How much different would the conversation be? Well, the, the conversation would look different right out of the gate because every time we have an election, uh, how people evaluate leaders is crucially important and it's for every single set of leaders that are in competition with each other. So the evaluation between Rachel Notley and Jim Prentice in 2015 was different than between Rachel Notley and Jason Kenney in 2019 and is different between Rachel Notley and Danielle Smith mm-hmm. in 2023. Uh, and so it's it's always, um, there are going to be ways that people think about each of these individuals like of themselves, but the way that the, the evaluations go is always in comparison to who's in the mix in the moment. 
And so when it's two women, um, lots of the sexist stereotypes are equalized across across the two of them. Uh, and by sexist stereotypes, I mean this idea that like men are just, quote unquote, naturally better at this um, than what women are. My own research confirms that about one in five Canadians thinks that. Um, so a bunch of folks know better than to say it out loud. <laughs> it's a very particular one kind of person. Five, one in five Albertans believes that a man has a more natural ability to lead as a politician? Uh, one in five Canadians, so we use the national sample, um, agree with the statement that men are quote-unquote naturally better leaders than our women. Um, okay. I think that that's empirically false, but uh, when I say that there are sexist stereotypes, I, I, I can bring the receipts. Yeah, because that's I, so I have, I, I have uh, the the other two that have slightly less support, seventeen and nineteen percent respectively, is that women are too emotional for politics and women are too nice for politics. Um, which again, I think is like, patently false, but people still hold these stereotypes. Um, in any event, so because there's two women in the mix, those any kind of like positive association that would come related to gender stereotypes um, related to women, or I think more pressingly, negative associations associated with um, sexism in women, it gets neutralized a bit across um, across both competitors. Whereas if it was a woman or a man, um, the stereotypes that um, make people like more comfortable or, you know, activate these kinds of stereotypes that, oh, well, like, men just do, politics is just better suited to men. Like, all of that kind of masculine stereotyping um, becomes really apparent. And so the example that I would give from 2019 is that um, it's a combination of masculine stereotypes about um, who's good with, um, like, economics and budgeting, uh, despite the fact that most household budgets are run by, say, women. Um, the stereotype of, like, who's good with money is stereotyped to be a masculine kind of thing. Um, similarly, the stereotype of which parties are um, most competent at issues like the economy goes to parties that are on the political right or in, in, in conservative party families. And so this is how you get jobs, jobs, jobs delivered in a big blue half ton um, from a man. And people are like, oh, okay, totally. We're not really interrogating um, the details of that so much, right? And so this is where... Um, which, like, and I can imagine some of your listeners being kind of like, yeah, we didn't, like, press the details because, of course, that's the way that it works. And right. that's, that's exactly the stereotyping process. And so the issue is not that the process gets used. It's more that we need to be aware of which processes are happening. Um, one of the things I've noticed when, because it's two women, you know, I got a question from a journalist a couple of days ago saying, you know, we're not really seeing lots of issues about, or when the volume of coverage seems to be a little bit lower about some of these things. And my own work confirms this. Um, when we looked at even just immediately following an election or somebody's appointment as premier, um, just the number of stories that were written about them in that first year, uh, and this is where we learned that in 2015, um, Rachel Notley's her first year of office, there were fewer stories published about her and her government than there was for Jim Prentice's government, even though he was only in office for nine months. Wow. So think about the context in 2015, where like it's we we see the, uh, the change of party in office for the first time since 1971, and yet that gender effect affects the news so much that fewer stories in a year in that context with the first year of the NDP government compared to that 
lasting nine months of the old PCs. So, I mean, obviously, you know, the number of stories is something that's easily, um, that we're easily able to track. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the tone of the conversation, even though we're not necessarily talking about gender specifically and the fact that it's two women and that that's, then that's incredible or we're applauding that. I wonder if the tone of the conversation about these two is influenced by their gender without us maybe even realizing it or being conscious of it. I mean, I think the research would suggest that that's a reasonable hypothesis, certainly. Um, One of the things that we find is that um, in in straight-up news coverage, um, the tone is usually pretty neutral. And so, um, as a result, just because it's news, um, it's hard to write, like, super positive or super super negative news because it's just supposed to be a support-like kind of dispassionate reporting or description of what's going on. Um, But when it comes to... uh, tone about things like a politician's character or perceptions of their competence. Um, and we, we, we can do that using, what we do is we, we basically get all the news coverage we can and then run it through a computer um, with dictionaries about um, positive and negative language. And so we set it up under some pretty strict rules to try to get a um, to not let our own subjectivity come into the analysis, say. Right. Um, when we do it that way, uh, what we find, at least in Canada, and this is confirmed in the United States and in other countries, um, that there is more a negative association about women, but it's typically associated with things like perceptions of their competence. Uh, where women have a, an advantage compared to men, uh, sometimes, is in respect to perceptions of their character, if they're, if they're like decent, honest people. Uh, and so a good example is to be Christy Clark in her first year in office. Um, she had outstanding positive numbers in terms of how her character was being presented. And it makes sense in that context. She was new. It was, she was a fresh face. She had had a past political career, um, but had stepped away from that and gone back into radio journalism with a talk show. Uh, and then had come back in um, in a context where the party that she was leading had had some scandals, but she was completely clean of them. And so in that sense, the gender stereotyping of sugar and spice and everything nice and isn't she wonderful worked in her favor. Hmm. Um, I would say here, one of the things I've observed, so I've not studied it, um, but um, one of the hypotheses I would have if I was looking at this systematically is that the uh, stereotype of women in politics being dishonest. This is something that's well-established in the U.S., and I don't have good reason to say that it wouldn't apply here, particularly with lots of that American rhetoric coming up into Canadian politics now. Uh, I would expect that lots of the negative tone would come from um, perceptions of um, honesty or dishonesty. And it's not... um, uh, aided by news reporting needing to report that some of the things that some of the people campaigning are saying are actually explicitly false. So that kind of feeds into that. So that's one of those things where on the surface of it, folks might not think that that's gendered, except that when you load it in with a larger context, um, it easily can become right. so. Right. And I mean, one thing that comes to mind is the fact that we talk about this election being, you know, really um, kind of a targeted attack on each party and whether that's warranted or valid. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you kind of separate that out and start thinking, well, maybe we're saying it like that because these are two women and there's an unconscious bias that we're holding towards that that, that makes us hold that thought. It's it's interesting to dive into. I wonder, Dr. Thomas, mm-hmm. 
if there is some good news here and if having a female leader leader could help move things forward in terms of seeing representation of females in politics. I want to get to some of those questions in a moment, but, and I know I value your time. It's very precious. We do have to take a very short break. It'll be really quick. We're going to get back into this conversation talking about both contenders vying to be Alberta's premier are women, and no one's really making a big deal of it. Our guest is Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Calgary, Dr. Melanie Thomas. We'll be right back in three minutes. We have a big decision to be made here in our province decision. Alberta right around the corner is the election heats up. We're talking about the fact that both contenders vying to be premier of our province are women, and that's actually not really been a huge discussion point. Our guest is Dr. Melanie Thomas, Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Calgary. Dr. Thomas, are we missing an opportunity here not talking about the fact that both contenders are women, you know, to highlight that this is something that women can do, and being in politics is something that is achievable and possible? I think so, but uh, as a as somebody who studies this, I also think that, like most of the time, we miss the opportunity to talk about how things are gendered and what that means and how that either can benefit or is maybe detracting from parts of our politics. And so I think under business as usual, we should be talking about what it means for women, what it means for men, mm. how we're using these stereotypes and what's, what, what are we communicating about what it means to be women, what it means to be men. And so I could go on until the cows come home about that. But I do think that... Um, if we care about wanting to make sure that our politics and our government is for everyone, which is what it's supposed to be, then having these conversations is important and actually shining light on when things work for everybody or when they're just seen to be even tacitly reserved for only some folks, but not for others. I think those are really important conversations to have. You know, I think kind of on on that note, this goes beyond just the leader of each party and it begs a, a larger question about the parties themselves and the representation mm-hmm. that we see. What does balance and, um, and and diversity look like in each party? Uh, in Canada, um, one of the things that comes through really clearly is that there are some parties that consistently seem to do a better job of representing the sociodemographic diversity of like wherever the election is happening mm-hmm. um, better than do others. And those are typically parties on the left compared to parties on the right. And I can hear some listeners probably shouting at their radio being kind of like, but we want the best candidate. And then, so this is where it's an interesting conversation to have is like, okay, but what does the best candidate look like? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I find really striking is that um, sometimes the most vicious critique is um, leveled at candidates who are young, um, but especially when they're young women, and especially young women who maybe aren't white. So I keep thinking about, say, Lauren Liu in 2011 federally, when there were some really young folks who got unexpectedly elected, again, thinking Alberta 2015, or comparing, looking at somebody like Sam Osterhoff, uh, who's a member of the provincial parliament in Ontario, he's very young, but a young man running for a conservative party, and people are like, oh, what a fine, upstanding young man. Um, isn't he interesting and exciting? Um, compared to, say, Ruth Ellen Berceau, when she got elected unexpectedly as a member of parliament in 2011, people were like, she's a barmaid. What business does she think of being a, a member of parliament? And so this is what I mean when I say that, that gender is happening all the time, everywhere. Um, and it's, it's like one of the challenges I would issue is it, it's worth trying to go and try to find it because it happens for men, too. Right. 
And so it's all part of a system of which in which politics operates. Dr. Thomas, I wish that we could keep talking about this all afternoon with you. I think that there is just such a, a deeper well that we could dive into, but that's all the time that we have, and I, I won't borrow any more of yours. So thank you so much for your perspective this afternoon. Thanks for having me. Of course. Take care. That's Dr. Melanie Thomas, Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Calgary.